0: Welcome to The Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art, where we bring you a new story about your world in every episode. Today's guest is Jenny Saldana, a young D.C. activist providing aid to migrants being bused into our nation's capital by Republican governors. More than 11,000 migrants have been used as political pawns by governors with 2024 presidential ambitions. Desperate Latinos searching for shelter and safety have been made to board buses full of empty promises. We'll learn about the day-to-day experience of this humanitarian crisis from the point of view of a young person who ran to the problem, not away from it, on day one. Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. Back in April, while families were preparing to celebrate the Easter holiday, some unchristian-like behavior was being plotted in Republican governors' mansions. Rather than directing millions of state tax dollars into humanitarian relief efforts to help South American migrants escaping oppressive governments that our nation directly opposes, or helping Central American migrants escaping violence from drug cartels funded by non-stop American consumption, the Texas governor and eventually the Arizona governor and Florida governor began loading buses headed to Washington, D.C. At first, half-empty buses were met by D.C. organizations who were already helping migrants in the area who chose to come to our region. These agencies were prepared to provide comfort, care, and help a majority of the migrants go on to their next destination. But when Republican governors did not see their desired effect, which was to overwhelm the D.C. area, they got desperate and redoubled their efforts by conning migrants who were warned not to get on these buses by advocates on the border. These Republican governors increased the level of uncertainty and suffering on a population Which has the legal right to claim asylum. The media focused on this issue at the very beginning and left to chase the next big story as buses kept rolling into DC. The cameras only returned when the GOP governor started dropping off migrants at the vice president's residence. But once again, those cameras are now gone. One person that still remains is Jenny Saldana, a young activist who spends days and sometimes nights ensuring migrants getting off the bus have water, food, and supplies when they arrive in DC. Jenny has been at this since April and continues to this day. I want to welcome to the show a very good friend of mine, Jenny Saldana, a young activist I first met almost five years ago when they were attending American University and a member of the local LULAC Collegiate Council on the campus and Jenny now graduated is working in the real world here in Washington DC but still making sure that the civil rights of our fellow Latinx individuals and migrants are still being protected. Thank you so much for your work Jenny and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a really great five years (laughs) of working together in numerous ways Um, So, yeah, I came to D.C. five years ago as a college student at American University, Um, and I would say immigrant rights issues has always been a really big focus of mine, um, especially because it's a very personal issue. My parents are both immigrants. My dad is from Mexico. My mom is from Panama. And growing up, I was in a very, um, you know, predominantly white neighborhood, and I think on, in some ways, I dealt with a lot of just, like, identity crisis as a Latinx person, but also seeing, you know, in all the ways that my parents struggled a lot as immigrants. Um, and so, as I grew up, I found myself really um, wanting to be in that space. Um, when I was in college, obviously, um, a lot of my studies, I could always find myself like wanting to do projects on immigrant rights. Um, I was involved in like an alternative break, which was an educational program um, focused on um, the US-Mexico uh, border, actually the US-Texas specifically, or Mexico-Texas border. Um, and that was just kind of the start of the of me really wanting to be much more direct in my service. Um, and so that's kind of, I think that was <laughs> a bit of my start in like activism around immigration rights.
0: So you did this in college and then you graduated and then you basically followed that path and ended up at one of the local organizations. Which which organization did you end up working for?
1: Yeah, yeah, so... In terms, of, in terms of like the buses or the my job.
0: <laughs> Both of them.
1: Yeah, so I currently work for a local nonprofit um, high schoolers doing um, kind of talking about mental health. Um, we also do sexual health programming. And so for me, that's been really great because I love working with like, young people and especially because it's very community focused. And in particular, we work with like, Black and Brown youth. Um, and so that's I am feel very honored to do that work but in regards to the buses arriving in Texas now um, I decided I just happened to you know read about it um, and saw Sanctuary DMB posting looking for volunteers um, and I just signed up I didn't really think um, too, <laughs> too deep about it um, and now we're Here, four or five months later. (laughs) And I've been, you know, I've still been out there helping um, and collectively where we call ourselves the Migrant Solidarity Mutual Aid Network, which is comprised of not only just mutual aid groups that have been doing, you know, long term work in DC, but it's, you know, a number of individual volunteers and churches that are all working together to, you know, give a dignified welcome to the people arriving.
0: It's an amazing um, a task that y'all uh, are taken on. I just want to say, first of all, thank you so much. I, I thought you had left your job where you teach children to do, uh, yeah. safe reproductive care, but it's just like you're doing two things, two big things that I think are so important in this world, mentoring kids about being careful and um, about re- reproductive care and, and, and mental uh, health, and then you're also helping out migrants coming into the city. And this is a problem that started back in April, 2022, uh, when the Texas governor decided to pull a political stunt back in April and start busing folks on a daily basis. Um, There was a lot of fanfare around it when it first started because it was something new. It was something very petty. People just said the petty level just went up you know, with Greg Abbott in Texas. And um, at first it was manageable in the sense that people really cared about this, really cared about this. They stood up, resources started flowing in. A lot of folks that are not in those mutual aid organizations stepped up and started donating, but it went away in the sense of the, the media spotlight because of course we had the summer gas prices, Roe v. Wade was overturned, um, secret documents were found in Trump Mar Marocco, so it's almost like the media spotlight went away from this issue, but the buses still kept coming, and we have over what eleven thousand um, migrants that have been sent to D.C. largely from Venezuela, and um, the need just keeps on growing and growing. Uh, You've been there and the one petty, I mean, cause now not only do we have Texas and now we have um, Arizona and now Florida, these Republican governors that are sending folks. The real pettiness about this is that they don't even work with us to let us know when these folks are coming. They don't work with you guys, uh, letting you know, Oh, the bus is going to arrive at 6 AM at this location. So you, have to be basically on call, be ready to go wherever these buses, when these buses arrive. What's a day like for you when you go to go meet these migrants?
1: Yeah, so I will say it's part of it is that it's always evolving also. So, you know, for a few weeks, we have somewhat of a pattern a day, you know, it's a very, the same process, but things then change. And then we have to like, kind of, adopt again. Um, And so, yeah, like you kind of mentioned, um, I do have a day job. And then I also do this. So I wanted to kind of reemphasize that all of this that I'm about to explain is completely volunteer 100%. At least on our end as the Migrant Mutual Aid Network, we are all volunteers. Nobody's paid to do this. Thank you. Um, So that, you know, I feel really blessed to be in community with so many wonderful people that are, you know, actively helping as well. But basically I would say a normal day, right? Let's say it's 6 a.m. bus. Um, That means if, you know, and I've had to change this now, but I used to do, I used to do a lot of morning bus (laughs) greetings. It was a little hard, but I would say I'd get up by 5.30 in the morning. I'm getting myself to where the bus is gonna drop. You know, I'm there with a handful of other volunteers Typically, somebody might maybe bring some water, so we can give that to people initially. Um, and yeah, we're there when the bus drops right at six a.m. or if it arrives a little later. And then, very the very first things that we're trying to do is assess any like very immediate needs. If someone has like a medical emergency, you know, getting a number of how many kids, how many babies. Um, You know, someone looks like in particular that they're in a lot of pain, you know, assessing how much of an emergency it is. Does that person need attention right now? Do they need to go to the emergency room? Um, And then we get people, we transport them to our respite spots, which we've worked with a lot of churches in the area who very graciously allowed us to use their spaces. Um, And so we get folks out of, you know, (laughs) where the buses are dropping. I think, uh, you know, last week with people getting dropped at the Naval Observatory was a great, or not a great, but it certainly um, was an example of why we tried to move people very quickly because media, a lot of times, <laughs> yeah. don't really care about respecting the privacy of these people or, you know, understanding that like they just got off of a thirty-hour bus ride. <laughs> They're exhausted. They want food. They want to be in a different space. They don't want to be like outside. And yeah, so- and
0: especially the media needs to understand that they're filming people that are under the age of 18. They haven't given consent. And especially if those people are not being accompanied by their parents, that's a big no-no. But media hungry folks are going to be putting cameras in people's faces, not respecting their personal space. And I think it's just, it's just really sad. Right. They, they blur their pictures later when they realize, oh, this is a, a, a minor, but it's just really sad. But go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: No, yeah, I think that, and so that's a really big concern for us is like respecting people's autonomy and their privacy. Um, and just like you said, like a baby cannot necessarily consent to being recorded and filmed. And so it's very important for us that we are moving people out quickly. Um, so we're taking them out of that situation and so once we arrive at the church, the next process is to get people food. <laughs> um, obviously, people are very hungry by that point. Um, it's probably about 6.30, almost 7 a.m. at this point. Um, and so we're trying to get people fed. Um, we have folks who have really taken on the big work of coordinating food. Um, that has been something, especially in the past like month or two, that very thankfully we've managed to get a bit, of a, a bit of a better system but i would say you know back in july before that when it was like really we were getting a lot of buses food was always a struggle um and so people are just very grateful to have you know something hot to eat in the morning um people especially are very happy to have a cup of coffee <laughs> i yes. found um And so after they've had a chance to eat, um, use the bathroom, we get babies' diapers. um, Then we start an intake process, and that's to just collect very basic information, assess, are you trying to travel somewhere else? Do you have someone here who's going to receive you, who's going to help you? And, you know, for people who want to stay in D.C., we try to have a bit of a different conversation. Um, Because
0: the vast majority of these individuals are trying to connect with family members or friends um, in other cities. Some of them meant to get on that bus to shorten their trip, make the trip quicker to get to the East Coast, somewhere in the East Coast. But some of them were basically lied to and they boarded this bus and they really don't have a place to go. So that's why you have to have a different conversation with them, correct?
1: Yeah, that's definitely part of it. It's a really, I think complex situation, because like you said, there are some people who get on it and they fully understand, like, this is a free bus that's taking me to DC, but you know, I want to get to New York and this is just like going to get me up there. (laughs) I'll figure out when I get to DC, how I'm going to get to New York. Um, And then there's some people who don't necessarily have sponsors, but I will say, I think part of um, the beauty of our work is because we've been doing, but I would say a great job of greeting people and helping, um, you know, word has kind of spread that there are volunteers in D.C. who are going to help you. Um, and so, uh, you know, we've, especially at this point, you know, we get contacted by people um, that, you know, they're on their way. <laughs> and so um, it's also, I think, people seem to hear that there's, there's help. There are people helping in D.C. And so they're like, I'm, that's where I'm going to go and I'm going to see what people can do for me. And so, you know, part of the hard The hard work of this is having those conversations with folks of like, this is the reality, this is what we can offer, but we're here to support you as much as we can. And I will say that this network has really done an amazing job to support people with the limited resources that we have.
0: Yeah, because you have basically some organizations that have been around for 40 years, and there's some organizations that just sprung up in the last couple of years to, because of the um, migrant, it's just a big old migrant situation that we got from the Central America that we start seeing now South America. Um, that's been like this since like the early 2010s, you know, it's not, it's been like this for a while. So you have, all, I love that all these organizations, some are religious based, some of them are just social justice, are working with each other. But you guys were already working with populations that existed here and needed the assistance. Having this new wave of folks coming has really taxed y'all's resources. So what are some of the constant items that are always being requested that you've been asking folks, if you can donate these three things, this is what we need.
1: Yeah. So you typically when we're doing the intake process, <laughs> that's when people start kind of making requests um, for items because, you know, we're having these one-on-one conversations. I would say 100% shoes, particularly men's shoes, probably like size seven and eight, mm-hmm. um, such a big need. Um, I would then say cell phones. Um as you can imagine, through their journey, people have lost phones. They've been broken. They've fallen into, you know, rivers. Um, so sometimes even
0: phones, old cell phones, are needed.
1: Yeah, I would say tech, if it could be like a, I think five G. There's some, and this kind of goes beyond my full understanding with uh, some of the specifics with immigration, yeah. but. Um, for some people who might have to be under specific surveillance from like ICE, um, current there are some folks who actually get like a, a special phone oh, <laughs> that good. they use to like check in. They get, yeah. but they can only use it to check in. It, it has no other function. It's very it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's literally a smartphone, but all you can do is like, yeah, do your, your, your check ins. Um, but we have seen some people from our long term folks. Um, who are like asked to download some sort of like app and then it only it only works with like a 5G phone. That's the one thing I will say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, any at the end of the day, any cell phones that people could get, I know folks would really appreciate. Um, and then I would say the next or the third item as of right now, it's kind of a, a mix between winter clothes, but also clothes for... Um, like kids like age eight to 12, seven to 12 in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of clothing wise where we're really struggling. Um, so definitely the shoes, men's shoes, but shoes for everybody probably wouldn't hurt <laughs> cell phones and then winter clothing plus uh, clothes for young children.
0: Thanks to y'all's mutual aid groups. I've seen, well, I've heard in the news that 70 students have already enrolled in DC public schools. And that's yeah. because it's giving them stability for the ones that are gonna stay in this region and have to follow up with those appointments um, with ICE. It gives them a place where they'll one get some education and get a, um, a cafeteria meal. So congratulations on getting those students enrolled in DC public schools. And like I... Uh, These folks, another thing that they need is pro bono legal assistance. Um, They need legal representation or else they will get deported. Um, They need to apply for asylum status. And after uh, they have successfully applied for asylum, then they're eligible for a green card eventually. But this is something where they need to get a lawyer soon to plead their case. And for those who are like, why should we help them? Why should we help these migrants? Like I had mentioned, the majority of the folks that are coming to DC are from Venezuela. They have political unrest. Right now, the US State Department has issued a warning for folks in the US not to travel to Venezuela. And this is off of their website. Venez- uh, we uh, urge you not to travel to Venezuela due to crime civil unrest, poor health infrastructure, kidnapping, arbitrary arrest, and detention of citizens. And of course, COVID-19 situation. So so if this is not safe for US citizens, why do you think it's gonna be safe for the people that live there? See what kind of, you know, see the context behind all of this, why people are leaving Venezuela and ending up in the DC area. Um, people are escaping to say you know to say they want a better future and they want to save their lives they want to save their kids lives that's why they're here why else would they make a thousand mile journey with coyotes um just to go through texas of all places that's going to mistreat them you know because they just needed to leave a situation that was really bad um right. How long um, are, for the folks that are not staying in D.C., how long do they stay in the city?
1: Yeah, so kind of going back to the process, um, as you can see, many steps that are going on. So once we kind of assess, you know, what someone's travel plans are, we then figure out, right, who needs tickets to get to the next location. Um, And I would say for the most part, anybody who's traveling, like, on these coasts, they will leave the same day, you know, they get those few hours of rest and then um, typically we'll have a bus either by that afternoon or in the evening. Some folks might have the next day travel, but I would say, yeah, anybody who has the next destination, you know, they have someone who's gonna receive them. They are here for, you know, at most an extra day or two. Um, and, uh, you know, we have some folks who might stay a little bit longer until, their contact is like actually ready to like receive them, um, and you know we're here, ready to purchase tickets for people who um, end up like changing their mind. You know they stay and then they're like, "All right, I think I want to go here," um, and then we also kind of help that help out with that, especially for people who might have been here for like more than a week or two weeks.
0: One one thing that uh, that when they were doing some, just a lot of groups that are trying to raise funds and and collect items the one thing that i really loved hearing is that they were trying to get people to donate tools people yeah they're ready to work they're ready to work for the ones that are staying here the men are ready to work or women they want tools construction tools any type of tools you know building tools it's just like i loved hearing that because it's sort of like help me by giving me the tools so I could go look for that construction job.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really, (laughs) I always see every day, you know, know, ask for so many donations that, you know, I think is evidence of people are here, they're trying to build roots in DC. Um, And I think that's what makes some of the narrative that Mayor Bowser is building really frustrating. You know, she's continuously said that people are moving on and I just just does not capture the reality of what's happening in DC. There are people who are here who want to stay, and you're like you just said, like you know, they're asking for tools, you know, families who are asking for strollers. We got lots of donations for backpacks with school supplies, you know, people who are asking to help um, with like long term housing. And so, um, once again, that's where the network has been really great at trying to meet people's needs you know where that's kind of the really beautiful part of mutual aid is like uh, you know this isn't about charity we're in this together we're in solidarity we're in community um and you know i'm here to support you however i can i'm relying on my community um and this is not you know not there's no hierarchy necessarily either like even as volunteers, we all have the same agency to support these people, um, however we think, um, or you know, in ways that we feel like we have that ability to do it.
0: Before I get to the last question, I wanna know, how, how do you do it? You know, it must be a lot of it, mentally taxing on you, having to see what the sadness of, of this migration. Um, the, the faces of people hearing the stories, um, how do you cope with it? Do you stress out a lot?
1: Yeah. So I think what you were kind of mentioning earlier, right. Of like, you know, how could people not want to support these folks? And that's the part that has been particularly difficult for me, you know, speaking personally, you know, obviously I know this world is not just full of like people with good intentions. Um, But I feel like it's really brought out like a certain level of ugliness to see how much people just do not care (laughs) about other human beings. And I think for me, at the end of the day, you know, I kind of live by two mottos and one of which is like, if you're not free, then I'm not free. You know, my liberation is tied up with yours. And I can't remember off the top of my head.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah
1: yeah but you know it's very very commonly used phrases and to me that's kind of at the heart of like any work that I do it's community-based um and I think with that it's also sort of like you know I don't have to share your lived experiences to like support you either um and so that's part of I wouldn't say like how I cope but that's what gives me the strength to like keep going and like why I do what I do
0: every replenishes um,
1: that's like yeah, for me, very central. Um, and something that I try to hold very close um to like my heart when I'm especially in these like really hard moments. And I would definitely say back probably July when the buses were pretty much every day, because you know, kind of to I think wrap up the part of like an, a usual day, right? The pattern has changed. And so um there was a point where we were getting buses almost every day and it would be two or three buses. And it was it was a really, really hard time. Um, I remember,
0: because um, I got a call from someone that said um, they left the men behind. They were able to take the women and the children, but there was no room for the men. And all these Latino Capitol Hill staffers who ran into them at the union station were saying, what do we do? And we got it on the phone and we we're asking for the shelters in DC, something you probably already interacted with long time ago. And we're basically told there's no more room. So luckily those Capitol Hill staffers, those Latino staffers pitched in money to send them to Maryland via Uber. They literally got them um, ride shares to go to the nearest shelter that was in Maryland. So they wouldn't have to spend the night there at Union Station. But it's like you said, July was the peak when there were so many people coming. Yeah, and only, was, and, and only the women and children were able to get the space that night.
1: Right. Yeah. It was. It was a really rough time, and part of the work has changed also because you know um, there's an NGO now that's been involved for about the past two months that has also shifted like <laughs> our relationship with this work, but I, you know, I only speak on behalf of, once again, the Migrant uh, Solidarity aid Network and that, you know, we're there for every bus. You know, we are supporting people who are here long-term. And I will also say, you know, now that this has been going on for five months, there are people who are arriving in D.C. DC through other means. They're not just arriving on these buses. buses. Yeah. And so now we're supporting people who, you know, are arriving and you know, can't necessarily be assisted by other people because, you know, um, they're not coming on an Abbott bus. But to us, it, it doesn't make any difference. Like, you're someone who arrived, you're someone who needs help. And, you know, we have resources and we're going to, like, share those out. Um, have you seen so, any queer migrants? And you- yeah, we definitely have. Um, you know, we have... Um, We've had gay migrants, we've had trans migrants, um, and especially in those situations, we really try to handle that very safely, making sure that if they're getting placed with a host, that it's someone who has a, a good understanding of like their needs, um, but also, you know, should another migrant say something to that person, right? We're not tolerating that. We're separating those people and, you know, informing them, like, hey, you you can't be saying things like that to people. Um, You know, I've seen it happen. And I think that's, once again, that's the complicated part. Like, humans are very complicated. Like, you're in a very vulnerable situation, but you still have people who um, might say very harmful things, but um, we're always navigating that. And this work, I think, is not perfect you know it's very messy but like we're here once again doing it to be in solidarity with people building community and we're we're getting through it together like that's i think what's really important um you know it, it to me has also really exemplified like pushing against like the good migrant narrative as well the good immigrant um you know i'm i'm here to help people because you're a human being um not because you know I think you're this like great example of like an immigrant, like you know. Yeah, that to me is also it's just about
0: uh, helping a fellow person. Period. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, and, yeah, no... navi- navigating yeah. those hard times when you know maybe someone is.
0: We don't need qualifiers. You just need to be helping that person because they're a person. Five months after this problem began. The D.C. Council finally pulled resources and passed legislation to create the Office of Migrant Services, which comes with a $10 million um, in funding, but places migrants in an individual category and not as a resident, which would make them eligible for additional help that a homeless D.C. resident would get. What are your feelings about that?
1: Yeah, so you kind of mentioned it already, but I would say there was a lot of mixed feelings at least as initial announcement. Um I think it on the one hand is sort of like where have you been <laughs> for the past 5 months. Um and I feel like it also is a bit contradictory once again to kind of her or Mayor Bowser's narrative like no one is staying here. Um but I would say as you mentioned, like that's kind of, um, the biggest concern right now is the legislation, the way it has been written on the one hand, doesn't seem to really offer a way for migrants to access some of the more um, long-term services, we would say like DHS, it sort of creates a, a separate pathway for, for these new arrivals. And so it seems to be very like temporary services um, and so once again, feeds into this idea that people are not staying here. Um, and so that's particularly concerning because it's sort of like, okay, so <laughs> what are we doing with them? Then with these why people are we calling be-
0: ourselves a sanctuary city? You know? Yeah. yeah.
1: Why, what are we going to do with these, you know, hundreds of people who've decided to stay, you know, in the district, you know, how are they supposed to access these services if they ex- experience and they are experiencing you know unstable housing um and on top of that you know some of the other language um seems to have this unintended consequence of barring essentially not just new arrivals but undocumented people in the district um you know because it makes mention of like if you have a a notice to appear um, all these things, which then insinuate, well, then that just kind of refers to anybody who's you know, currently well, going through immigration proceedings.
0: Who and may so not be listing the District of Columbia as their home base. It may be somewhere in Virginia or back in Texas, which then does not allow them to claim any DC services, even though they're here, right. they're probably working and they're probably contributing yeah. to the economy here but because their paperwork has them listed somewhere else. Right. Yeah.
1: And so that's kind of this other big concern is like, you know, this now, this goes beyond people who are arriving through these, you know, Abbott buses, this is impacting people who have been here, who've maybe been here for years. Um, And so that was, you know, there was a big push to, you know, add, some sort of amendments which council member pinto did try to introduce
0: my council uh, <laughs> yeah right to introduce but it did not yeah. get supported it only got it, like three uh, other votes and it made right. more yeah. yeah
1: so you know it was a bit it was definitely a disappointment because the way that legislation is written right now it is essentially anti-immigrant um and i think in a lot of this process, we have really been also thinking through the way this work impacts, you know, just unhoused people in D.C. who have been here. Um, And I think there's another concern that like by introducing more barriers for the migrants, we're also introducing barriers to people who are already unhoused in D.C., you know, long-term D.C. people. And so it's a lot of, um, a lot of concerns there. And so we will be keeping an eye on it, and we will definitely be, you know, taking action um, to push um, the DC Council and DC Mayor uh, and Mayor Bowser to really take into consideration um, adding amendments or, you know, uh, creating ways for people to have more access to these services because that's the reality. They're here, and they're going to need it. So. So
0: they're here and they're going to need it. And how can um, listeners support your organization?
1: Yeah. So um, kind of how I mentioned the beginning of all of this, um, we are collectively the DC Solid or the Migrant Solidarity Mutual Aid Network in DC, and um, it's spearheaded by multiple mutual aid groups. Um, But in particular, I would say Sanctuary D and D is the group that posts the most about the buses but I also wanted to shout out the other mutual aid groups um, specifically Peace House and East of the River Mutual Aid um, who have done lots of work to support DC residents and also um, the Beloved Community Incubator, Free Them All, um, Virginia Um, and walk, And so those are just some other groups that have been very involved in this, um, who have been involved with this from the beginning. So you can follow any of those groups. And then if you go to Sanctuary DMV's Instagram or Twitter, you will find the links to donations, how to sign up to volunteer. Um, And once again, you can definitely follow them to hear more um, kind of about um, the ongoing work of greeting these buses.
0: Thank you, Jenny, for all the hard work that you've done to ensure that migrants are treated with dignity when they arrive in D.C. I hope that your days get better and that more support comes your way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, once again, really lucky to be in community with so many great people. And it would not be, you know, I'm one person at the end of the day, and um, it's not just me. This is the work of many people who give their time, coordinate who build those relationships. And it's only possible because we're, we're all doing it together. So um, I'm yeah, feeling very lucky to be in community with so many wonderful folks. Thank you so much, Jenny.